VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. And we're here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome everybody back to the Church of Roy podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Dewald. I'm joined fresh off of an avalanche title winning, enjoying Denver hangover. Brian Wilcox. Brian, how are you doing? I'd say I'm back to normal today, but I certainly enjoyed myself in downtown Denver Sunday night. It was cool to have a team win a, a championship. So good times were had and Monday sucked. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe you were in a, a couple of the videos I saw on Reddit uh, <laughs> with, with the with the good times going on down downtown. And then you later pointed them out to the group chat. So I was I was very impressed, yeah. Brian. I wasn't doing anything uh, unlawful, I'd like to add. I was just there to kind of partake in the revelry is all that's what i'd say too but anyway the big news today is we have a special guest we have the shade on sharp expert someone who i've seen that video a million times because it's so good and it's explaining the pick uh because there's really not a lot about him which we're going to jump into but jay kyle man from the ringer has joined us today kyle thank you so much for stopping by let's jump right into it let's talk a little bit about shade on sharp awesome to be here Awesome. Awesome. So obviously your video highlights just basically how much we don't know about shade on sharp for, so anybody who hasn't watched that video, which I doubt, I think the crossover between people who listen to this and people who've watched that video is probably very small, but can we just start with kind of how did his journey to Kentucky kind of start and how it's kind of unique from something that we haven't seen before? Uh, his whole, I kind of touch on this, explain it in the video and I'll, I'll quickly recap it here. He's a kid who grew up in, um, London, Ontario, Canada, which, um, is just for Amer for Americans for reference. That's just on the other side of Lake Erie from Cleveland. I had some Canadians hit me up and say, Hey man, Toronto is a huge city. Why are you <laughs> in Cleveland as a reference point? I was just trying to explain to him. I was like, dude, Americans know jack shit. Sorry, I said a curse. I don't know. I was like, no, no, you're good. You're good. All good here. For reference, I needed to use an American city because when we think of Canada, I just kind of round up into like the great frontier. I'm just like, it's, I don't even know. That place is so expand. It's expanding like the universe up there. It's endless. <laughs> yeah. Just, and, and so that was the point I was making. But anyway, um, kind of, uh, he, he was always a great athlete. I was telling people, Something, if Portland fans want to go do this, I kept it secret because I wanted to kind of have an info edge. I hadn't heard anybody else talk about this, and it was part of the process for me. Um, he played at a secondary school, which is what they call it in Canada, uh, as a sophomore for a school called H.B. Beale Secondary School. This is before he came to America. Um, and if you watch that tape alone, uh, for the first, and you were seeing that guy for the first time, you would have thought you were scouting the next Kobe Bryant. I mean, um, he, now granted... <laughs> the, the caveats here uh he heavily overshadowed the competition quite a bit but the point of it is um he was just a monster athlete bouncy slinky uh the things you like to see from a guy who projects uh, hypothetically as like an elite wing down the road um constantly just making like uh gar like just clean up plays with his athleticism he's super long 
and then he then he go down and make threes uh and he, and he was like blocking shots there was one play where he just runs this dude down and transition it's in the video I, I put it in there um this will all come back but this is if you go on maybe i'll tweet it at some point a bunch of these games are on youtube and um it's nice context for what we see later uh, but it was like literally just filmed by somebody's like a parent. Like they, it's not filmed well <laughs> and you can watch it and it's like not good video quality. But if you want to watch more of him in its entirety, uh, that's one that's one way to do it. You, you got to kind of take it all into, into context. But then so he, he goes from there. He gets hooked up with this guy, Dwayne Washington. This is a character who looms large. You can go read about this. Uh, my buddy Kyle Tucker wrote about this a lot on The Athletic. Uh, this is a guy who wanted to be an agent. Uh, and a lot of there's a lot of these players, characters out there in the in the world of grassroots basketball. Moves him to Sunrise Christian in Bel Air, Kansas, uh, on a very good team with like Michael Foster and Kendall Brown, who was also in this draft. Went to Baylor. Quiet kid though. He sat the bench. Didn't really do a whole lot. From what I've heard, it took them a while to get him to kind of come out of his shell socially. Didn't stay there. Uh, he moves on to Dream City Christian now. Keep in mind, this is around 2020 when the pandemic hits. Um, Dream City Christian is a school that's run by uh, coached by Kyle Weaver, who coached DeAndre Ayton. Um, he's way more on ball. He transitions from like a spot-up guy who can shoot the ball to heavily becomes like, I'm a shot creator. I'm going to go wild. And you'll probably see a lot of clips out there from EYBL. Uh, they, they just unleashed him at EYBL. They were like, just go create shots. You're on the ball. So it's a little messy. Um, his usage rate I saw on one site was like something to pushing like 50%. It was something insane. Uh, I had to like go and see if I could fact check that with some people, but it's great. Like he was dominating the ball, mm -hmm. but the things you started to see come out were he became a better ball handler. Um, he has a lot of like hop left, hop, right, step back kind of stuff and still was a pretty efficient shooter in the mid thirties. Um, and then he comes back in the fall with dream city for like, I don't even know why he came back. He stayed a little too long. And in that tape, if you just watch that, he, he's super disinterested, didn't want to be there. So he decides to reclass and go to Kentucky during the second semester of this past season. Kentucky was rolling. They had a good team. I know personally, because, uh, I root for them. Okay. <laughs> all right. You know, we all wanted him to play. The moment he reclassified, uh, the whole fan base, as cynical and spoiled and jaded as we are, and we've been through this with these guys, <laughs> we all knew we were like, not playing. No chance. No chance in hell this kid's playing. And, of course, he didn't. And it came out later that, you know, he was kind of being told not to play. Um, he said some things to the Pacers in his interviews where it was like maybe he didn't want to play. I don't know. It's it, Whatever. It, mm -hmm. it was all handled really poorly. His people – told Cal straight up, just bold face lied to his, you know, to him. Cal thought he was going to play. Um, he, he, and the guy who was handling his uh, recruitment and his like courtship to the NBA was basically telling teams he's going to be in the draft. Uh, so what we ended up with was a lot of tape that was a year old. You know, this guy hasn't played competitive basketball in a while. Um, and you're, you're assuming a lot. So that's yeah. that's how we yeah. ended up there. But uh, in terms of we can get into like the scouting him kind of stuff. But that was the road. That was that was a thorough answer, I know. But that's the road to how we got here. This guy's very mysterious for that reason. No, you you gave us plenty to work on. I, I think there's a lot of people who are probably already have paused the show and started to try to find those old videos. So, um, it, you know, strangely, this is not this is not too far removed from what we kind of went through with Anthony Simons. Like the journey sounds very similar. I mean, obviously this sounds like a much higher level, but Anthony Simons is another player. If you Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Remember back to his prep career, went to Montverde and just kind of rode the bench there and then came back to his high school in Orlando and then IMG and then into the league. I think decommitted from Louisville. Louisville, Louisville so... Yeah. So very, you know, very similar story. This is a trend. This is a thread that Blazer fans can follow because I think this helps me provide some context because what initially worried me is not only was there no sample size last year, but 
when you go and look at his recruiting history on like 24 seven sports or whatever, you know, if you look at Chet or, or Paulo, they have just this mile long of where their journey started, you know, a few years ago where it's two entries when you look at, at sharp. So um, that is super useful. Now you talked a lot about what, you know, he did on offense and became kind of this on ball creator, but also your video really touches on, some of the defensive stuff. So can you touch on that a little bit as far as what you saw looking through this tape and maybe some concerns that might pop up here in the near future? Yeah, the ebb and flow of this was I had watched his EYBL tape. To be totally transparent, um, UK signed him. I'm kind of a little bit of a, of a curmudgeon within our kind of sphere, our UK sphere, um, known known as being a little bit of a curmudgeon. Um win me over is kind of always my posture with these mm-hmm. guys. Cause I don't always agree with like how Cal uses people. I don't like, I get a little frustrated with that from time to time, but it's hard to argue with the results anyway. Um, they sign him. I watched his EYBL tape and I was just like, I just don't like the way this guy plays. I was just not in. I was annoyed. Like he just kind of had a workout game. We went through, um, I don't know if I actually used that terminology in the video, but he plays like somebody who's just looking straight ahead. Either I'm scoring or I might make up like sort of one of those Iverson passes where I'm in trouble kind of thing. Um, and uh, I, I was just not super excited about him. I was more excited about Case and Wallace. I guess it's going to be coming in this coming year, but um so I went through a process of like, I, I went and I watched the tape from this past fall where he was disinterested and I just sunk in even more. I was like, I'm just, I'm not a fan of this guy. And, uh, but I had a moment when I went and watched the HB Beal stuff where I was like, wait. And then the can- the Canadian U16 stuff that he did, uh, which is all on YouTube. People can go watch that as well. Um, where I was like, hold on just a minute here. I was like, some of this seems like it might be contextual, like heavily contextual. And and I kind of had a moment where I was like, I was really hard on Anthony Edwards in the same way where I was watching him be disinterested on offense, super disinterested on defense, ultra talent. Like just this guy can score on anyone. His athleticism uh, has every tool in the bag. Anthony has more than Shaden, but, um, it kind of made me circle back. And one of the ways was defense. You know, um, when I watched him on the Canadian team, he was obviously willingly guarding within a scheme. Um, he at times seemed like he was kind of trying to keep up with the flow of it as is normal with teenagers, you know, like guarding late into a shot clock, making mistakes, things like that. Those things happen. I kind of give people, if you're given no effort, that's a little different, you know, um, he also, another thing that he keeps showing throughout is, probably the most talented like shot blocker from his position in the draft i would say he could be end up being the best rebounder at his position in the draft and that a lot of that is because he has big hands he has really good anticipation when he's interested and engaged um and he can just one step jump like crazy like somewhere probably in the neighborhood like a 45 inch vertical powerful leaper um he can and get up and get stuff that doesn't even seem possible. But um, in terms of like garden one-on-one and in a scheme, long way to go. That's what I would say. But it, but the potential is there. It's just going to take some buy-in and accountability. And just to kind of put a little more positive spin on the defensive side too is, you know, you mentioned it, you know, in your video, some of these games are pretty low stakes in some of these. And some of his tape that I'm watching, it's a two-way street. Like you're not getting a lot of guys playing two-way defense or two playing both sides of the floor playing a lot of engaged off-ball defense like some of his lob stuff yes it's impressive that he's getting up there but there's absolutely nobody around him on you know backdoor cuts that are pretty basic so so i think it is a little bit of a product of the competition which is you know the big thing that hangs over all of this is we just haven't seen him compete at a very high level on tape against you know live competition um you mentioned also in in the video talking about how important it is for him to land in a good situation to be around veterans now obviously damian lillard for the on ball offense stuff what it's like to be a professional come in you know be the first one in the gym last one to leave damian lillard's about as best as it comes i mean he's someone who's at all these rookie workouts i don't know very many players of his caliber that are doing that um but defensively I'm excited that Jeremy Grant is on this team now because I think there could be some stuff that he could take from that part of the game. What do you see as far as the makeup of the Blazers as an ideal landing spot for Sharp coming to this team and and how that foundation starts him moving forward, you know, early in his career? 
I think a big part of it is um, it ties to what I was saying before. The diff the, when he looked different, um, his accountability situationally was different. And I've seen guys like this in the past. We had another guy like this way back in you know 20, 2009, 10 and DeMarcus Cousins, where if you watched him in the, on the prep level, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, but like when you watched him, um, he was just kind of – he just was a turd a lot of the time. Like, I mean, he just like was <laughs> yeah. kind of had to give half effort, really volatile – and this is one of a one of my favorite players. So when I say yeah. that, uh, you know, my dog that's laying behind me, his name's Boogie. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Demarcus Cousins was one of the first hoop summits I ever attended, and yeah, I, I have been on the Boogie train for a very long time. So yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, accountability is for some guys. It's they are going to go there, and maybe they cause the accountability to be there. They dictate it. Shaden hasn't really done that yet. And we've seen, but we've seen him. I mean, the comparison I'm making there to DeMarcus is just like some guys, their effort is dependent on how accountable or how much they respect the people they're around. You go and you see DeMarcus when he was at Kentucky, defended his ass off. DeMarcus when he was in Golden State, he was hampered, but he tried, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the thing. Some guys kind of rise to the cultural thing. Right now, I think that's kind of where Shaden is. Now, whether or not, and he's young, whether or not he, I think being around Chauncey will be good for him too. Um, I, I I just think that veterans like Nurkic, assuming he resigns there, he's going to. I assume, right? I would. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> being around guys like that, I think will be good for him. And that was that was what scared me a little bit about him. I was like, you know, if the Kings take him, Kings have some guys I think that could be a good influence on him. But uh, I feel a lot better about the guys in Portland. Um, yeah, and that and that's the thing too. I want to make clear is like as cynical and that is like uh, as much as I presented one side of it that that worries me. I want the kid to do well. I mean, he's oh. got all the talent in the world. Uh, so I just uh, there are things that still do concern me. Just to be honest with you and Blazers mm-hmm. fans, it's it's still a risk. But if you consider the upside, man, it's kind of similar to Simon's. It's like uh, of course the different spots in the draft, but uh, the star upside outside of the top three or four, you know. Um, he had the highest, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's really that's the book on him. And what I was kind of surprised me was Joe Cronin in his press conference was talking about, you know, this might not be a wait and see thing. This might be, we expect Shaden Sharp to play some minutes this year. Now I don't know if that's necessarily a pro, a product of something you talked about on the last, uh, you know, Upside High podcast is or Sharks brought it up was should he spend time in the G league or should it be in Portland? And just because Portland's structure where they do not have a G league affiliate, you can't really cater to the position he's going to. So I agree with you. It's better to have him come to the office every day, even if it's only five to 10 minutes, if that um, he's got to see it at this level. Now, looking forward, we've talked a little bit about the near term. What do you think of a long-term makeup of Anthony Simons and Shade on Sharp? Or if you were to build a perfect backcourt partner for Shade on Sharp or a perimeter partner, if he does switch to small forward, if you could build that player in a lab, what would that kind of look like? Or what do you think, what kind of player would you like to surround him with? If you're assuming you're building with those two going forward, I think it's pretty similar to what we saw between you see this with like scoring leaning guards. I talk about this on our show all the time. It's just kind of a way you build. Uh, it, it, it becomes a duos. There's some duos that can, can, can kind of balance each other in that way. But then whenever you have two players that kind of lean scoring, you need to make it a trio and turn them into, you know, get a guy who can kind of run high post offense that can kind of let them run off actions and things like that. Not necessarily depend on them to be like dribble with against the set defense and pick them apart and create kind of thing, which we saw with DJ with, with Dame and CJ and Nurkic. And we saw even when uh, I made a video about the Blazers a few years ago. And I remember when I was studying their numbers and the load that they carried whenever Nurkic wasn't there, it was noticeable that he made their lives a lot easier. So you just want to put, I think you're going to want to put another player I don't know how much longer that'll be Nurkic or how much more he has in the tank as many, you know, health issues as he's had over the years. But um, that would be what I would say just because they, unless we see like a major leap from Simons, but I still think that he's a scoring leaning player. Um, I think all of this, I made this point on our show. It's just like the three of them, like Dame, Simons and Sharp. I mean, it's a little bit of a, it's a dissonant kind of a thing in my opinion, in my opinion, but um, it, you know, Shaden's shown some flashes of passing touch. Uh, but 
to answer your question, yeah, I think you, you're probably going to want to put some, like a skilled kind of over the top passer at the four or the five spot, ideally against that or, or sort of a low touch. Uh, I'm in love with these types of players, like low touch yeah. time, assist to usage type guys that can make good decisions. That's who you want to pair with, with Shaden, in my opinion. Well, this is exactly what we're going to pivot into right here, because in your winner section on the ringer this week after the draft, you you talked about the New Orleans Pelicans. You talked about my favorite player that I watched, my favorite person to profile and break down the tape and Dyson Daniels, um, someone I really wanted on this Blazers team. But granted, you got to play the upside play for Sharp. I get it. But one, would you rather see Dyson Daniels without have shifted the Blazers into the winner's column for you here? Or is it right fit for both guys here? Um Tell us a little bit about how the grading process goes. Isn't that kind of do you consider the Blazers a winner on draft night? I guess they're different situations. I think um, I, you know, fit is a thing that you worry about um, when you have a more like solidified plan kind of in place. So I think the Pelicans were just working from a different spot, yeah. and I think when you think about where the Blazers are, kind of coming up against maybe a big shift. I think for that reason. Um, also, also the ink's not dry. You know, we, we talk about the, we talk about these draft picks and I've, you know, hoot and hollered and like said, ha the Grizzlies drafted a guy I like that. They got to go out and play. You know, it's like, we got to, we got to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. I can call him a winner and then he can be terrible or I could call him a loser and he could prove me wrong. Um, I think that for what they did, the thinking makes sense. Now you think about like Dyson, I think is just somebody who's just applicable in, in a lot of situations. And what we were describing, you said it was like a clear transition. I agree. Um, I love Dyson because I think Dyson is somebody that can help your offense and still he's got Sharks is right when he talks about Dyson. I think he does need to be a little bit more aggressive in spots. It's kind of that Lonzo player mold, not nearly the playmaker, but he would have made sense on this team. I mean, I would have, I would have, I would have, that, that would have made a lot of sense to me, but I understand the upside play. I understand why they did it. I think like Brian's talked about it on our show is, uh, Evan, there's a little bit of like we have Evan Turner aftershock here a little bit as yeah. far as like in we've tried to see what the Blazers did there. It just didn't work out. And unfortunately, it was a lot of money. So I think compounded the issues there. But um, yeah, the Evan so Turner corollary. I got to hear from Brian. Yeah, well, Brian, yeah, speak. Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been letting you cook, baby. I don't know. They, they, yeah. they hear me every week. We don't get I'm you every week. So. Over here. <laughs> no, so the Evan Turner corollary is that like, you really want, you know, the idea of having a big ball handler next to, you know, two ball, ball dominant backcourt, two small guys sounds good. And it, you know, takes the pressure off them. Then at the end of the day, you got a guy that is handling the ball that isn't as talented as your two guys. And you're almost kind of limiting the upside of your team artificially when you have a guy like that with the ball. And so we're just, we're, we're shook from that whole experience. <laughs> and so whenever we hear about getting that big ball handler who might not have the, the best shot. I my mind always just goes back to the ET experience and, and how poorly that went. But you know, I, I just think a lot of that's Portland's reluctance to change the way they use their backcourt and and their their, their reluctance to run more off ball actions with Dame. So you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole thing that we could go down there with the way they ran their offense over the years. Yeah. Now now that said, I would be thrilled if somehow now that David Roddy's in Memphis that you kind of alluded to earlier. I would love to have Chris Anderson in Portland because he is another one of those kind of off-speed facilitator, you know, kind of just that player that I've always wanted to see, that I wanted Evan Turner to be so bad. But um, I guess the other thing I want to touch on a little bit, I mean, it's the se- it's a second-round pick, late second-round pick. It's something we didn't get a chance to talk to when we did our after-draft podcast because we kind of just hammered it out after the, the sharp pick. But the Blazers – pivot to you know a bigger player another big wing player in jabari walker can play both forward spots um just a really talented guy at colorado just did not get drafted very high Mm -hmm. uh connections to chauncey billups are kind of clear both colorado guys um chauncey billups competed against uh jabari's father samaki walker so i get it do you have any comments or do you have any film how i don't know i don't want to I know your bag goes deep, but I don't want to put you on the spot here, Kyle. But thoughts on Jabari Walker, kind of we kind of view it as a steal, I think, as our conversations have been, and someone who could, you know, work their way into a rotation eventually. Uh, I know a lot of people who really watch a lot of ball 
that like Jabari Walker. That's the first thing that I would say, a vote of confidence. Other thing is um, it's a low-risk move, obviously. Uh, the other the other thing that I would say is in this in this ecosystem of rangy, fly around, got to be long, got to close gaps, got to make shots. There's a weird thing that has happened. Memphis has kind of capitalized on this, where uh, weirdly, you know, body types with skill sets that are rooted around the rim kind of take on a new value. I think that, I think that that is kind of one of the weird things that we've seen with Zion is that like the league kind of evolved to move this direction. And so then this specific person with this body type comes in. It's almost like uh, I'm trying to think of like an invasive species, like uh, kudzu is like a big plant over here, or like yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what are, what are they called? The Asian carp. A lot. Of, it's always from Asia. Yeah. It's always they come over <laughs> and just destroy us. I just think whenever an ecosystem evolves one direction, and then like this other type comes in that the that the the existing ecosystem's not ready for. I think we've just seen an interesting kind of matriculation of those types of like bodies. Like Grant Williams comes in and is holding up. It's like, oh, turns out there is still a place for big, thick, strong guys in the league. Um, you know, I think that uh, Jabari Walker is a little rangier, um, but he does have he does have like that sort of like he just accumulates buckets around the rim kind of thing, um, and I, I think that has a lot of value. Um, He's a guy that, uh, yeah, like I said, it's low risk. Just kind of let it, uh, let it fester and see where it goes. Uh, I like him though, from what I've seen, I haven't studied him as much as Shaden, but I do like Jabari. Wong. Yeah. I mean, Jabari, one thing, like you said, just living around the rim, his footwork from what I've watched looks really sharp. And I think it's reflected really in not only his defensive rebounding, but really his offensive rebounding. I mean, he really out positions a lot of other people and, the ranginess really comes into play there. So definitely a player who is comfortable among bigger players. And, you know, why not take a swing like that? Someone who I would assume Chauncey has a pretty good read on. I would assume he's probably still with his brother still being, well, now on the staff, but from that area still um, probably have a pretty good idea of what they're getting in Jabari Walker. Yeah. But Kyle, I know you got a big pick pickup basketball <laughs> game to get to, so I don't want to keep you too yeah. long. Me and Brian are going to jump into some more, you know, blazer contract specific stuff, but I truly appreciate you coming on, um, giving us something to watch and giving us, you know, a really informed idea about a guy we don't really know a lot about. Now uh, we've mentioned it already. You can find Kyle's work on the ringer. Um, uh, Upside high is one of the best listens you can on the ringer podcast network. So we truly appreciate you having on, having you on Kyle real quick. Do you have a Brandon Roy memory? Just because that's the name of our show or a comment on Brandon Roy. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't discuss this before, but any thoughts on Brandon Roy just for our show before you head out? You did put that in the message and I thought about it in the moment and then I didn't think about it again. I totally forgot. <laughs> uh, I just would, like Brandon Roy's <laughs> career. I would say, oh. hey, um, <laughs> I would say, I wanted to tell you guys too, I love the city of Portland. Like, I just love it out there. My wife and I, anytime we get a chance, we talk, we talk about moving out there as all hipsters do. And, uh, you know, I just uh, like the bar. There was like some incredible bar that I loved out there called, uh, expatriate. Is it still there? Maybe uh, it was over Novo. No, it was X over there in oh. like the Alberta district, like the arts district. Um, we're going to get murdered if I don't know where this is. Might not but be open. I, this was back in like 2016, yeah, yeah. but I okay. sat there and like tasted mess cows with this bartender for oh, like perfect. an hour and a half. It was incredible. Uh, no, I was going to say Brandon Roy, man, I've been one of those people that have sort of been a guardian of the memory of what those Blazer teams could have been because it was just mm. so catastrophic. Uh, because mm -hmm. if you go back and I made a video about Kevin Durant last summer and it sort of resurfaced some of the Odin stuff. And I was like watching Odin again. And I was just like, man, the conversation in, in history had been so cruel to, to Greg Odin. He was going to be a good player. He just like, it, he just fell apart. It wasn't, a, you know, he wasn't a bust. That's what annoys me. Yep. And yep. Brandon Roy, man, I, when Cade Cunningham was coming into the league, I was just like, I feel like this is like the spirit of basketball course correcting history. Cause I saw so much Brandon Roy and Cade Cunningham. Um, I'm old enough to have watched both of those guys a lot. Um, but I mean, I, uh, game winners, I mean, big playmakers, yep. physical, could shoot it. Love Brandon Roy, man. I uh, wish we could have seen his Love career him. go further. Um, 
Is that adequate yeah. enough? I mean, no, no, that's perfect. That's per it's exactly what we, anytime anybody honors the memory and, and honors the legacy of those yes. teams, because it's something me, me and Brian talk about all the time. It's just, you know, when that team was together, they, they were a team that could have competed for a title. And, you know, that brief 82 game window is actually how it worked out um, over a couple seasons. I think they won 60 games when they're all together. Yeah. So uh, very impressive. Thank you again, Kyle, for coming on. One of my go-to really NBA Live 09 teams, too. That, that, <laughs> oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Thank Travis you Outlaw, much. man. Cheat code in NBA Live. It was good. It was good. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. I'll, anytime you have a question or something that you think I can weigh in on, I'd love to come back. So. All right. I appreciate, I appreciate it, Kyle. We'll get on and we'll talk. We'll talk bars and restaurants in Portland. I'll be a little more prepared on that front. So I can talk that all day for sure. All right. And if you're ever out here, make sure you look us up. I will. I will. All right, guys. Take it easy. All right. We're back. It's just me and Brian now after that wonderful interview with Jay Kyle. Man, again, just some awesome insight into a player where there's just not an abundance of insight. So we went to the 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 shade and sharp whisperer. Um so now we want to talk a little bit about some more blazer specific stuff. I didn't want to waste Kyle's time and, and keep him on for about some, just some of the nitty gritty. Um, mm -hmm. I think the first thing I want to talk about, even though this isn't necessarily in the order of news since our last recording, but Michael Scotto of hoops hype uh, reported today that he's talked to a, a handful of executives. that believes that the, the deal for Anthony Simons um, to return to the Blazers is in the ballpark of $80 million over four years. Um, so 20 million a year. They also mentioned that there will be a hefty amount of incentives in there. So I would assume that could be tied to, you know, making an M all NBA team, making an all-star game, crossing certain thresholds is what I would assume. Um, Brian, four years, 80 million for Anthony Simons. You like it? Think that's the going rate? Or, or do you think uh, Blazers are getting a deal or getting ripped off here? I feel like it's about right. And I can see it, honestly, pushing up into that 85-90 range pretty easily. I think all it takes is one team. I know there's not a ton of teams out there with cap space. And even a team like the Pistons, who you know, I think they still have cap space after what they've done. And I don't know mm -hmm. if Simon's a real great fit with when you have Ivy and uh, Cade there. So, But – I don't know. I like the deal for Portland. I mean, you, I always kind of like look down the list and see like who makes money in that range. And does he fit, you know, as far mm -hmm. as talent level. And you have guys like Jared Allen in there, Sabonis, Harrison Barnes. And some of those guys are in varying, you know, stages of their contracts. But for me, 20 million for a starting two yard per year is, is certainly reasonable. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're basically talking about a, a $10 million pay cut, basically at your two guard from CJ McCollum to Anthony Simons, if that is going to be the new deal. Um, mm -hmm. So you're taking a third away of the pay. I don't think you're taking a third away of the production. This is a concept that you've kind of really planted in my head over the years of talking about basketball with you. So I think when you look at it through that lens, I, you know, I really kind of like the contract figure. I like that it is incentive based. Um, not that I don't think Anthony Simons's motor has ever been in question, but I, I do think it is a, a fair deal. I think, you mm -hmm. know, maybe in a, in a market where there's a little bit more cap space out there, um, maybe he gets a better deal. I guess, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about Evan Turner with Kyle earlier. Um, you know, there is the Alan Crabb thing here. You know, the contract is going to be eerily similar to that as far as uh, money goes. But I think the thing to keep in mind is, one, Anthony Simons is much younger I think he is a more dynamic athlete. I think he does more, period. Now, defensively, there's still ways to go. But I think just on the offensive end, I mean, Crab was not the type of creator, did not – I mean, he was a kind of a catch-and-shoot guy, could do a couple things. He, he just got paid a lot of money, and, and I, I just don't really see the, the comparison there. Any worries about uh, Alan Crab 2.0 or we're going to close that book and not think about it? No, I, I think that Simon's body of work of playing at a high level is just so much larger than Crab was. That Crab deal was really based on, you know, minimal amounts of flashes, right? And I think we've seen Simon's, granted, it was kind of a weird team, but he really put up fantastic numbers and, and looked good doing it for an extended stretch. I think there is a little potential baked into this deal, um, but I think that he also has the potential himself to far outplay this deal. So that's why. I, 
I can understand why there are incentives or rumors of incentives tied to it. Don't bring yeah. up crab again for a while, please. Yeah, all right. I, I, I won't. They gave me put shutters down my spine, really. It's going in the vault, baby. Don't no, worry I'm about good. it. All right. So the other player that obviously I think this is kind of a couple of the worst kept secrets in the NBA. So we're hearing Anthony Simons re-signing with Portland. We kind of heard the rough framework of that deal. The other player, mm-hmm. obviously, is Yusuf Nurkic. Um, it's been reported that, you know, he was ready to continue playing through his injury at midseason. Now, obviously, the Blazers are making a pretty hard pivot to tanking at that point. Um, and he was willing to play through uh, plantar fasciitis to, you know, go into his contract year, you know, fully, you know, showing that he could play a full season. Um, it sounds like he shut it down with some, you know, kind of wink, wink, assurances that he was going to get a new deal that I mean worst case scenario was going to be this from the Blazers like if he does want to test the market he has the ability to but the Blazers are going to have his back and it does sound like he's coming back to Portland any surprise there um, now that we're kind of hearing that it's kind of almost a done deal how do you feel about Yusuf Nurkic returning to this team he's a player that we've you know we praised on this show but you know we do have concerns so thoughts on Yusuf Nurkic Brian absolutely no shock that he's coming back right right i mean a guy doesn't not play in a contract year to help a team tank if he's not coming back especially with his history of injuries i'm sure his group just you know you know they talked what that number was and his representation's fine with it i think portland's probably pretty dialed into it they said okay you know we've essentially agreed agreed upon the framework of a deal but shut it down and it's the best for all parties involved yeah. And so, yeah. I guess as, as far as him coming back to, I mean, it depends on what that number is, right? If mm-hmm. that number is closer to 18 million, I think maybe you're kind of going, well, that might be a little, little, little rough if it's closer to that $12 million deal is on you. Absolutely love it. So um, I'll, I'll withhold my judgment for, for yeah. now, but um, Nurk's shown to be a very, very good defender and technical partner with Dame in his time he's been healthy with Portland. So I don't mind it. I, I really don't. Yeah, I would super strongly about it either way. I I would say as far as what what maybe the number might be is, uh, you know, we're looking at Zubach got a contract extension today with the Clippers, a three year deal. Um, I'm wondering three years, I think about twelve, thirteen million dollars per year. I wonder if that's the Nurks. I don't see it being too much bigger than that, just because of the injury history. Yeah. So I think there is potential that that Nurk. I don't think he's going to break twenty. I would be shocked about that. I think eighteen is even a little high. I'm thinking somewhere mm-hmm. fifteen, sixteen million dollars might be more in his wheelhouse. Um, and, and I totally, I totally agree with that. I just want you know, if mm-hmm. it is on that high side. I, I hadn't seen that news about Ubach. So if he's three years, thirty-three, maybe three years, forty. Three years, thirty-five. Yeah. I think that's. And with his yeah. injury history, I wonder if we can tag on maybe a partial guarantee or team option late, something like that too. I don't... Yeah, and I think the other thing too is we've made a pretty big deal. I mean, not necessarily us on this show, but we've touched on it. But how much Jeremy Grant's going to help Damian Lillard? I don't think we should underestimate the ability that Jeremy Grant's going to be able to help Yusuf Nurkic. Um, having that type of mobile defender and paint presence that he is will hopefully help Yusuf Nurkic. Now, granted, Jeremy Grant is not known for his rebounding at a high level, which could put Nurk in more position to really you know, bump up those counting stats and really be leaned on in that. And if we, I think if we've learned anything about Yusuf Nurkic, I think his numbers matter, his production matters. And I don't think that's like a callous, like cosmetic thing that we have to worry about with him. But I think he does enjoy that. And two, I think he knows that he likes to be depended on. And mm-hmm. I think if he knows that he's filling that that key role for the Blazers, I think he's going to take a lot of pride in that. At least I certainly hope so. And I think we do have a coach in Chauncey Billups who, whether it's Sharp, whether it's Yusuf Nurkic, I mean, the time for accountability is now. This is going to be a really good test run for that. And I like I like Nurk's chances to outperform his next contract is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. especially if it comes in at that $15, 16000000 million range. You know, um, I, I thought about Grant 
and how he would help Nurk, but I really hadn't thought much about how Nurk would help Grant because oh, yeah. yeah, Grant is not, you know, at least there's some on off numbers that show that his team doesn't rebound worse when he's off the floor necessarily, but his individual counting stats for rebounds are, are pretty poor for a, a starting four in the NBA that plays those kinds of minutes. So I think Nurk's ability to gobble up rebounds will kind of cover up some of his deficiencies of, on, on that side of it too. That's, that's a really good point on your end. So, you know, outside of those moves, not an abundance of news for the Blazers. I'm not like, I'm not really going to go into the whole Kevin Durant thing and Damian Lillard posting a picture of KD and them in the same Blazer uniforms. <laughs> I think it was a fun thought exercise. Um, you know, Kyle kind of hinted at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go, going back to his Durant piece, it would be a way for the Blazers to kind of maybe change history or rewrite history a little bit if they did get him here. But I was, I don't think, I, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but I would assume neither of us really took to any of that very seriously. So I kind of just want to move past it. If you, if you have any comments of just seeing that I was in spotty cell phone reception all weekend. So I didn't really get into it too much with anybody. I didn't even know what to think, man. It was like the odds of it happening were just so far-fetched. I was really surprised that uh, Dame put that out there because he knows when – he's a pretty sharp guy. When he puts stuff out there, people react. So, I don't know. I think he might have just been trolling us a little bit, having a little Wait. fun. Yeah, I think the player who has a keen understanding of how, like, TPEs work, I, I think he knows that – Kevin Durant's probably not <laughs> happening for the Blazers. So, yeah, I, I think it is one of those – maybe it's relationship building for down the road. Who knows? Yeah, um, that's true. So, I, I'm not going to go into that too much more. Now, what we did here is, uh, I believe, from Kelly Iko um, from The Athletic, covers the Rockets. Um, there is whispers of a deal or, or at least discussions that had occurred that could potentially continue to occur, that the Blazers have been in contact with the Rockets looking at a deal – that would be, I think the money sits with Eric Gordon um, and then also KJ Martin, who's, you know, kind of this up and coming, very athletic six, seven forward that has taken an unorthodox entry into the NBA, but um, his dad is Kenyon Martin. Obviously, I think that's why a lot of people recognize the name, but does that deal do anything for you? I'll get into my, my KJ stuff a little bit in a second, but as far as yeah. maybe Eric Gordon and the salary, what, what do you think about that? <clears throat> I've never been a huge Gordon guy. Um, you know, I, I'd much rather, I, I think he play, brings too many redundancies to a backcourt that already has sharp name and Simons. I think I'd more, and, much and more hard. And Hart, too. And, and Hart, yeah, who I believe is best of the two. will probably play three this year. But um, I would rather allocate resources to the front court and the center position that both badly need help. So so for me, well, I think it probably wouldn't hurt to go out and get another point guard. I would like to see a point guard with a little different playing style, a little lower usage rate, and a little better defender to fill that spot. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know anything about Martin other than he's, he's Kenyon's boy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, if I've seen him play, which I probably have, I watch a lot of basketball, but it was not memorable. And uh, I'm going to have to have you fill me in. So as far as KJ goes, I haven't watched him play a lot in the NBA, but I did have the privilege of watching him compete at the Les Schwab Invitational a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when he was on a very competitive team with Scotty Pippen's son, who is now signed with the Lakers after the draft. But what I watch KJ do is consistently guard positions one through five against some very competitive teams. This is a player that went head to head with Scotty Barnes at that time, who was also in that tournament and held his own. And also in that same game that Scotty Barnes was playing in, um, he also had to guard Vernon Carey, who went to Duke, was a very highly sought out prospect at center. It hasn't really panned out at the NBA level, but was a dominant prospect also in that tournament. He, you know, looked very much comfortable guarding Anton Watson and competing next to him. I mean, pass the eye test. Anton Watson is the sixth man for Gonzaga right now. Um, so just very competitive, um, a lot of athleticism, takes pride in the little things. I think one of like the most memorable moments of that whole tournament <laughs> is he had like a crazy block on a, a much bigger player. might have actually been Christian Coloco, who was also drafted this last week. Um, and he went nuts 
and like Kenyon Martin went nuts from the sideline. So like, it was, it was a cool moment. So um, someone who I would be very interested to see um, come to Portland. And I think what it brings you to my larger point here is I, I don't know if the Blazers are going to get a surefire starter for the small forward position. I think they should just make it as competitive as possible at that small mm-hmm. forward spot. And a player like KJ is exactly the type of person you want competing, you know, with Nasir Little, with Josh Hart, you know, even Shaden Sharp, who knows, you know, you want it to be very competitive at that spot. Um, Brian, is that your prevailing thought or are you still holding out hope that the Blazers find a surefire small forward in the next couple of weeks? I think it will come down to a competition. I think the MLE will probably go to a center just because we're so thin at the five. But yeah, I mean, what I know about him, he's KJ Martin's still extremely young at 21 years old. And kind of like this swing with uh, Jabari Walker, you can do a lot worse than taking yeah. swings on athletic six, eight, or, you know, I think Martin might be closer to six, seven or so, but six, sevens to six, nine guys, like, mm-hmm. you know, all it takes one of those to pop and you got a, you got a three that, that is serviceable. So I'm a fan of it, or at least the idea and what they're, what they're, those rumors and then also what they did with Walker late in the second. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so I think, I guess with all those moves in mind, I think the next big piece for the Blazers if you're following along at home is there, there's two things, I guess I should say there's two pieces to watch one real quickly. <laughs> the Jeremy Grant trade is not finalized. Um, it has not come across yet. Um, if you, you know, remember back to draft night, the Pistons also had another deal with the Knicks. Um, is there a potential that this is going to turn into a two from a two-way trade into a three-way trade? The Blazers still have another TPE available are the Knicks looking to get off more salary? Is there another player potentially involved? Is this move expanding? I think that's number one to watch. Number two is Eric Bledsoe's contract. Um, is it going to be used as a trade piece for $18 million or are the Blazers going to waive him and get that savings from the non-guaranteed money that's left on that deal, wipe that off the books and, and you know, roster build in another way. So I guess first, Brian, on the trade front, do you see that trade expanding? And, you know, or or do you think it's just a, a formality here? Do you, do you think they're holding out for a bigger deal? I think they're I think they're holding out and keeping their options open. You know, I mm-hmm. think there's still what are we talking about the Knicks maybe trying to get off some cap and doing some weird stuff to get Brunson and maybe picking up one of their guys into our TPE makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I'm all in. I, I don't think there's any rush and, and there certainly hasn't been any like smoke that any of the, that the deals falling through. Right. Cause when I first read that, I go, Oh God, like <laughs> don't tell yeah, me there's, there's been no marquee, indication. Yeah. Yeah. Our marquee addition of the summer that deals falling through. So for me, I, I just think it's smart. I mean, why not keep flexibility, keep options open in case something pops up and you can snag somebody with one of those exceptions. Makes ton, makes a ton of sense to me. Will it happen? I, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I say with me, I, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to blow the doors off of anything, but like you said, I mean, even if the deal doesn't come to fruition and it doesn't expand, I mean, I think the Jeremy Grant thing's happening no matter what every indication yeah. is that there's too many moving pieces that have already moved based on that move happening but whether that move expands or not i don't know if it will but like you said it's about maintaining flexibility there's no reason to shut the door when you don't need to so they still have that option open as far as eric bledsoe goes do you think they are going to find a home for it as a trade piece or do you think this is just counting down the hours until he's waived and they and they make the cap savings um, I think it's more likely that he gets traded than it was our seventh pick. If uh, that tells you anything, rub it in. I don't. I don't know. Um, I would lean towards him getting cut, and we just take the salary cap savings, just because I don't know who's out there clamoring for really that deal. Um, but yeah, that's. I, I think he probably gets cut. Which, once again, boring Brian over here, like, oh, nothing's gonna happen, but. I'm just that's where that's how I'm reading the tea leaves, Steve. I think I think he does. I think they end up going the cap savings route. I wouldn't it be wild mm-hmm. though if they just kept him and made him their backup point guard? That would be the other just guaranteed the nineteenth. Yeah, <laughs> just said yeah, we're doing it. And I mean, and really, Cronin hyping that one in a press conference. 
Yeah, yeah. Turns out we wanted him the whole time. So, no, I don't think we'll see Joe Cronin saying that. Now, if there was a GM bro still here, maybe maybe it's a different story. But um, anyway, that's all I got for this week. Very long show. Again, Kyle Mann showing – J. Kyle Mann showing up. Absolutely killing it. Um, a lot of really good information there. Go enjoy watching some H.B. Beal highlights and watching a young Shaden Sharp really just – cram it on some sophomore Canadian kids because I, I took a brief glimpse uh, during our break and it's uh it's going to be a good time. Brian, anything before we get out of here? No, big, you know, really appreciate Pal coming on. There was a point there where I, I love his content. I always really respect his viewpoint. So when we were recording our section of the pod, I almost kind of forgot I was on my own podcast. <laughs> so I was just, I, I was just taking in all the shade and sharp information. It's like, Oh shit, I should probably say something here. So, Anyway, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Hope all our listeners did too. Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, it, it's it's humbling to get around someone who is as good as you know, um, Kyle. I mean, even Sharks in the past. You you get. Yep. A, I mean, even Dan Morang when I'm on a show with him. Um, even Dan Morang. That makes me sound like I'm putting in a different tier. Shout out to Dan Morang. <laughs> absolutely killing it this off season. Um, but you know, you get around to like a a true pro, and you realize you know, oh. I got a little ways to go to keep going, getting better at this thing. So, um, but really awesome show. Um, appreciate everybody's time. Uh, rate review us. If you haven't already, give us five stars. It really does mean a lot to us, makes an impact on, on who gets our show and, and how we are viewed. So uh, we truly appreciate everybody's help. Uh, Thomas, enjoy your honeymoon. I know you're listening to this. Hopefully you're flying to Spain right now. Um, Shout out, congratulations on your wedding this last weekend. Absolute killer time in Hepner, Oregon. So anyway, thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. And while you're at it, go follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod. We'll see you next week.